Welcome to Nashville to Memphis, a podcast hosted by Dr. Jason Lee McKinney, a recording artist, songwriter, and the rock star professor. N2M is a podcast where Jason and a guest or two literally talk on the phone while Jason is driving down I-40. The only subject criteria is that this podcast is all about the random crap Jason thinks about. So, all of you podcasting and audiophiles, just chill on the sound quality, you dig? Jason is a front pocket theologian, back pocket socio philosopher, and a jockstrap surveyor of the music industry. You may not be able to make sense of it all, but that's okay. Neither can he. Thanks for listening to Nashville to Memphis. Don't forget to rate and write a review for the podcast on iTunes. You can find it under the title Nashville to Memphis. You can reach the podcast at www.facebook.com slash Nashville to Memphis. And check out Jason's music at www.jasonleemckinneyband.com as well as iTunes and Spotify under Jason Lee McKinney Band. All right, welcome back everyone. On today's episode of N2M, I dialed the digits of 901 native and legend Jody Stevens. Jody was the drummer for one of the most influential bands to ever come out of Memphis, Big Star. Big Star's legacy has far outlasted the band and inspired other bands like R.E.M., Wilco, The Replacements, and Teenage Fan Club. Jody also works, still does, at Ardent Studios and Record Label for years on the marketing side of things. So Jody and I sat down to talk about the meaning of legacy, the strange and wonderful journey of Big Star, all things Ardent, and his latest band, Those Pretty Wrongs. So sit back, buckle up, and adjust the rear view. The exits for Buck Snort and Jackson are just ahead on this week's episode of Nashville to Memphis. So I want to go through kind of some Big Star stuff, but then it's kind of some just just your life sort of stuff. Um, and so I wanted to, when, when you guys started Big Star, did you have any sense when you were doing those first recordings, you know, the, the after hours, late at night stuff, did you have any sense that you had something special? Cause, and I say that because, you know, I'm a artist, actually we met at Ardent recording my last couple of albums that I'm always amazed at stuff. When I walk out of the studio, the stuff I think is amazing and I think is special almost inevitably completely flops and nobody likes. And the stuff that I'm like, eh, it's okay, is the one that I actually make some money off of. Uh, you know, and money is all relative now compared to what it used to be. So I just sort of yeah. wanted to start with, did you guys have a sense of, hey, we're really on to something, or was it just guys having fun? Well, it was guys having fun for sure. I think, you know, Chris certainly uh, had a sense of purpose about it all. Uh, and, and kind of a mission. Um, for me, I definitely had a sense that it was something really special. It was really special to me. I uh, the songs that that Chris and Alex were, you know, bringing to rehearsals and stuff were just kind of knocked me out. And we all just kind of kicked as as, as players together. Um, so yeah, I, I I thought that I thought it was something special and. Uh, but I mean, I didn't have any great expectations beyond just—I mean, just the joy of, of every of us all sitting down and, and creating some music together. Right, right. So I also want to fast forward because one of the things, like when when Big Star sort of ended in its first, you know, incarnation, this sort of official after the third record. What did what did life sort of look like for you? Did you did you always stay in music? Did you did you have other bands? Like what did it sort of 
how did how did life sort of take itself there? If if you don't mind sharing that part of your your journey. No, not at all. I uh, I, I waited tables uh, at the Mississippi River Company here in Memphis and Overton Square, and uh, went to school. Uh, went to Memphis State, and which I had been doing kind of on and off while I was in Big Star. Both Andy and I kind of did that and uh, finished. I was on the 14-year program. Oh. <laughs> this is in 84. Uh, but um, so it just kept busy. You know, had had uh, did some writing with Van Duren and uh, I spent some time in the studio with, with Andrew Luke Oldham, the guy that managed and produced the Rolling Stones for a while. Wow. And, uh, and that was a trip. Uh, kind of a wacky sort of guy. Uh, and and uh, but I've run into him, you know, since in 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 the last you know probably six five six years at South by Southwest, and and he's you know he's a pretty down to earth nice uh, guy these days. Um, but uh, did some writing with Van Duren and uh, played with Chris Bell and Van and uh, Mike Brignardello in a group called uh, Walk and Wall or, or Baker Street Regulars. Um, I played in you know various bands. Uh, played in a group called The Suspicions, a three-piece kind of power punk pop band um, with Mike and Jimmy Enright. Uh, that was a good time. That was probably '79. Um, yeah, just uh, continued to play music. Kind of dropped out of it. F- for uh, you know, from '76 on, I, pro- I don't think I I played any because I, I went to uh, I was kind of busy saving my money to go to to go to England and save my money for a couple of years and and uh, spent five months overseas and two and a half of which were in in, in London and because uh, I remember I I auditioned for a band called. The Metro, and uh, probably didn't make a good impression because I hadn't played in you know a couple of years, and it, it goes fast. But at any rate, uh, uh, you know, just tooled around there for a bit, and um, came back, and uh, I don't know, got together with my wife in eighty, with my future wife uh, in eighty three, and. Um, and wound up getting married in eighty four and eighty seven. You know, started working here on the business side of things in, in January of nineteen eighty seven. So I've been here thirty years now. Oh wow. Uh, on the business side of things. So, you know, I just kind of I got to do a lot of things that I really enjoyed. I even you know, I enjoyed going to school. Right. What what was your major? Marketing. Oh, marketing, awesome. You know, yeah. I, I figured I already had music kind of down, and I, I wasn't terribly interested in music theory and, and, and the uh, the uh, uh, academic side of it. So I thought I'd take something that, uh, one, I had an interest in, because there's a lot of creative elements to marketing, and uh, two, I, I thought I had a better chance of getting a job. Yeah. Which, you know, it, it uh, paid off because uh, my experience 
with John Fry and Ardent and Big Star along with the marketing degree, I think helped land this the job that I have now at Ardent. That's somewhat similar to my journey. I I got a music degree and I got my first record deal and that went sour and I decided I didn't know enough about business because I signed a bad deal. So I went back and got a bachelor in business and then got into a bad writing deal and decided, well, I need to know a little more. So I got an MBA. And then by that point, I was like, well, I'm going to go ahead and get a doctor because I don't want, I don't, you know, one of my missions in life is to help other people not get into bad situations like I did early in my career. So that's sort of, it's sort of that like, I was motivated to learn business because of experiences knowing I needed to know more about business. And that's something I wish more young artists would realize is you you own a business. Even if you're a pure artist, the business is you. You are the product. So, um, and, you know, I think there are creative elements to that. So that's pretty interesting, um, pretty interesting to realize. I, I I will confess, as far as Big Star goes, I was introduced to Big Star, and this is the lamest way. This is you guys have got so many cool stories about people finding your vinyl and stuff. I actually got introduced to Big Star in '99 when I was in my early 20s because I was a That 70s Show fan, and I did some digging on in the streets. And through that, really, vessel, you actually, yeah. wow. I, so uh, I, because most on, people have no idea. Yeah, well, what I, I was a big like, I loved the show, I loved the song, and then I was like, well, who wrote, who is? Alex Chilton and Chris Bell, like, you know, who are those guys? And then obviously I found stuff on Alex first because this is going to show, this is going to date probably me and both of us. I actually had to go to the library, <laughs> like look up things. I couldn't just yeah, yeah. grab my phone and Google stuff. And so, you know, found out about the whole, the letter and his whole thing and then got introduced to Big Star through that. And then from 99 on, I've been a huge fan, but I was actually introduced to it through that 70s show. Um, and so... You know, I guess, you know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I know, I mean, you lived it. I, I've only experienced it as a as a fan. Is it there was there was you know you guys had your time, and then there was this probably this quiet period. So when did you sort of first realize that the the influence was much larger than what you probably thought it was? When was that sort of first moment you go, wait a minute, this thing isn't dying. It's sort of organically bubbling under and growing by us influencing other artists? Well, I uh, probably 1978, and uh, I was in London, picked up uh, an NME, some music publication there, New Music Express, or, and uh, New Musical Express. One of the two. Well. I should know. I'm tripping. Um but at any rate, so and I'm, I'm thumbing through, and there's a there's a short blurb about Alex. There's a photo of him, and uh, it, it's it's something about what he's up to now. And and there was a comment about Big Star. Um, and then I pick up another publication, Melody Maker, and I'm thumbing through and and uh, get to the, the the kind of want ads or the classified ads, and somebody's looking for a Big Star record um just kind of a anybody have any big star vinyl out there um and there was all there was seemed to be some mention of big star in like six out of the ten music publications that i picked up whether it was just a mention and this band you know 
sounds like Big Star or uh, whether there was an ad of somebody looking for a Big Star record. Um, and then I ran into Nick Kent on the streets of London. I don't know if if uh, we some uh, if there must have been some sort of meeting, or I was with my friend Andrew Tyler, who was a writer for the NMA, and uh, you know we were we ran into to Nick and, and Andrew introduced me, but Nick Kent's kind of this infamous British uh, music writer. And he was telling me about how he had a copy of uh, the third album and a bootleg, and he also had a copy of Big Star's uh, live broadcast from WLIR in Long Island that we did in 73. And I thought, hmm, it, uh, you know, it's there's a lot of interest here. Right. Uh, and then EMI reissued our first two albums as a double album in England. Uh, in the UK, so yeah, that's when I first started figuring it out, and then and then you know pick up a a Rolling Stone or something in the states, and and Mike Mills and Peter Buck would be talking about Big Star in an interview. Um, so it and it just sort of grew from there, you know, sort of little hints and uh, mentions and and. I don't know. They, they get, the good thing about uh, John King and his efforts at Ardent Records in the early 70s is there are a lot of good things about John King. But one of them was he got our, our records to the right music writers. People mm. like Dave Marsh and, and uh, uh, Bud Scapa and uh, Cameron Crowe. The music writer John Tiven, I think, was one of the first to kind of jump on board and, and write something extensive about Big Star. Um, um, wow, and, and uh, a lot of others, uh, other sort of influential and now kind of iconic music writers, um, got a copy, and they, they many of them wrote about it and said really nice things. Um, so from that point on, when they heard a band, a new band that reminded them of Big Star, they would mention Big Star. And then folks like yourself that, you know, are, are way into music would would figure out who Big Star was. And then, you know, over a period of like 17 years, we grew an audience from that. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, you know, there's a... In music, there's this, um, there's a buddy of mine who, um, used to work at RCA and he's a marketing guy. He made the assertion that, you know, if your music's not popular, it's probably not any good. And he and I had this pretty massive debate. We're friends, but it's pretty heated debate because I think there's groups like you and then you take like Herman Melville, you know, with Moby Dick. And and this guy Rodriguez, uh, that I don't know if you heard his story. He was a folk artist out of yeah, Detroit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I saw the film too. The yeah, and it's like, okay, that isn't that really is not true. Now I do believe that the cream always rises to the top. Dot dot dot. Eventually, <laughs> but it doesn't mean immediately it's going to. You know, it's it's one of those things where good art will find its way eventually, and so that sort of leads to this sort of legacy question you guys are at this point where there's or you know that there's legacy so 
some define it by like profits and other by how they'll be remembered after they're gone. What, what, how do you feel about the quote unquote legacy of big star and, and how, how do you define your guy's legacy? And I know that's a big, huge question. Yeah. I, I, uh, I always leave that up to the listener. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's, 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 you know, how, how a legacy defines always better left in the, in, in, in the ears and the heart and the mind of the listener. I think. That's great. That's great. Yeah, that's short and concise and awesome. So, um, what, there's the, starting to be some rumblings um, of, you know, in a, of the kind of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing. What are your feelings on that? Would that like, would you be stoked about that, or would it be, would it be pride, or, or, you know, what are the emotions that come with that? Well, I think it, yeah, it'd be really exciting. I think, uh, I, I, you know, Chris Bell would have been ecstatic uh andy hummel would have would have uh probably scratched his head and and uh and 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 oh i don't i grumbled not wouldn't be a, the right word for it but you know he'd he'd mumble a few things and go well that's that's great or uh alex I, I have no idea. Mm. Um, I stopped kind of trying to to you know second guess Alex a long 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 time ago. Um, but I mean it would be exciting and and uh, I think you know really good for somehow it, it seems like it would get to Chris and uh, and uh, mm. and Andy and and good good for. Chris's, you know, brother David, who who spent a lot of time with Chris and and uh, a lot of care, and uh, and certainly Andy Hummel's family, right? Uh, kids and grandkids, uh, and his wife Patty. I think it'd be great for them. Uh, no, it'd, it'd it'd be exciting. It'd awesome. be great for John Fry, who's not no longer with us, but. And, and ardent, and all the people involved, John King, um, yeah, all the uh, Steve Ray's family. Steve was a part of that. Um, but it would be, uh, I think, rewarding for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so if you don't mind, switch gears and. I think a few years ago you put out a record with the band Those Pretty Wrongs. Tell me, tell me about that band. Well, uh, Those Pretty Wrongs was released on the Arden Music label uh, May 13 of last year. Okay. And uh, we got Luther Russell, and I, Luther lives out in Los Angeles. I uh, quick history. I met Luther in probably '91 or '92. He was he was the leader of this group called the Freewheelers. They were signed to Geffen Records by Gary Gersh. And part of my job at Ardent was sitting down with A&R folks and making the rounds and pitching bands that we were developing, like John Kilzer uh, pitched to Geffen and, and Tora Tora pitched A&M. And, and, uh, so at any rate, I'd make the A&R rounds. Gary was one of them. Gary suggested I meet Luther Russell and at the same time, he suggested I meet John Aaron and Ken Stringfellow of the Posies. 
And so Gary was kind of the guy that entered. I mean, you know, those are three really long term relationships right there mm-hmm. uh, and and close. Uh, but Luther and I would just kind of get together and, and talk about music or whatever on the, on the occasional trip to L.A. And, and uh, I was out. I was a trustee for the Recording Academy, and I was out in L.A. for a trip. And Luther and I had lunch. And then shortly after that, um, you know, the Big Star documentary was being released. And uh, the Newark Theater in L.A. wanted me to come out and sing some big star songs for the screening of that. And there wasn't really any money for a budget, so um, I got Luther, I called Luther Russell and uh, to see if he'd like to be a part of it. And he was excited about it, so I felt, you know, really good about that. Uh, he had his friend Jason Hiller that would play bass with us. And uh, so we just did, you know, and I would just sing. So we got together for that, and then we wound up doing KCRW, kind of going out early and doing KCRW and Amoeba Record Store, and and uh, wow, there's in the Grammy Museum uh, for a screening there, and then we did the Newark and something else, the Newark Theater, and uh, and and. And during the process of all that, Luther said, why don't we start writing some songs together? And uh, Luther's a really talented guy. And he said, just send me whatever you have. Doesn't matter if it's a line, a lyric line, a melody line, just send it. And I just, I happen to have a couple of songs. Lucky lucky guy being one of them and uh, one other song. And so I just, I called his iPhone and uh sang a voicemail to him mm. with the lyrics and melody lines and stuff. and So he added music to that. And it just kind of evolved from there, you know, where, where we, you know, obviously both of us contributed to the songs. And, hell, I thought we'd, we'd get four or five, and we wound up writing 12 together. And, and uh, you know, along the way, we, we uh, Luther flew to Memphis. We cut a couple of songs back in C-Studio. Uh, Lucky Guy being one of them and Fool of Myself being another. Um, and interestingly enough, Burger Records caught, caught wind of it and they wanted to release a single of the songs. Thought, very cool. It's a cool association. They're a label, neat indie label out of Fullerton, California. And uh, so we just started going from there. We got the songs done. We recorded the rest of them here at Ardent and, and Luther... And uh, his partner, Jason Hiller, Jason Engineer, you know, would do the overdubs. And they mixed out there just because, you know, we didn't have, we didn't really have a budget for this. So we we did it as cheaply as we could. Uh, but it, you know, I, it worked out well. I'm glad we didn't have a budget. It, it happened the way it did. It's, I'm really proud of it. And, Sounds good. Orton released it. We we uh, played the uh, Americana Music Fest, and a friend of mine from Melbourne brought a uh, a promoter, uh, an Australian promoter. And um, it's funny while we were playing, we played at the basement in Nashville 
for this, and uh, there was this guy that was just digging the hell out of it. And uh, it turned out to be BT, uh, the guy that runs Love Police Touring in, in Australia. And at the end of it, he said, hey, y'all want to come to Australia and open for Tweety on a couple of dates? He said, sure, and he, and he added three other dates to it, a festival and then two other dates on our own. And, uh, and we were kind of off and running. Been to Spain, done eight dates there, and we just got back from England uh, this past May 26th and did uh, six dates there, all by train. Uh, that was that was really cool. Um, and uh, we've got a little bit more than half a, an album's worth of songs written for the next one. Awesome. Any projection when you guys are going to go back in? Uh, no, it's just not a yet. Of, of, uh, Luther's he, Luther's busy, but Luther can get focused a lot more easily than I can. Um, so I'm uh, I just need to muster the discipline to get focused and, and uh, kind of get this thing started again. But I yeah, think we have six or seven songs. You said the train thing. That's pretty cool. I've never done that. We we just got back. We did a month long tour of the armed forces entertainment so we were flying everywhere and wow countries, countries like kuwait and bahrain and Djibouti, africa and all kinds of stuff but i've never done and we've been to europe quite a bit but i've never done the train thing i always wanted to thought it might be kind of cool i mean i've I, you know if, if we were in local cities like dublin or you know brussels we would take the local trains but i've never done it between countries but uh th that would be a neat experience yeah i well i in 78, I traveled around at 15-day Euro pass and was going country to country. But England, I mean, our, our tour in England, it was just, I mean, we may have spent like three hours on a train. You know, a travel day might be five hours. Right, uh, right. You know, from leaving the hotel room to getting to the next hotel. Uh, and there would be maybe a couple of, uh, maybe one train change in that but it was it was uh it was really a fun cheap way to do it because if you buy your ticket we got a friend of mine turned me on to this two together pass and it's like 27 pounds and it gives you a 30 percent discount on tickets so uh and if you book them in advance they're far cheaper than if you buy them day of mm. so we would I mean, with the 20 pounds for two tickets, and um, that if we had bought them the day of, they'd be like 50 or 60 pounds each. Oh, wow. And, huh. uh, so it, it, figuring out how to do it cheaply uh, was key to our, I don't know that, I don't think we made any money. It may have cost us something. Um, I'm still kind of need to, to get focused and figure out those expenses and stuff so yeah people are amazed that happens i mean it, you can be out there and making money quote-unquote grossing money but when you take all the expenses and all that stuff you end up going wow i, I don't know where all that went uh, a lot passed through but not a lot is at the end of the at the end of the game yeah. so well, yeah we weren't we weren't really making that much and and actually I had a friend that we stayed the first two nights with in london so that was cool he picked us up at the train station and our respective train stations, and that saved some. But, uh, you know, when we were pretty frugal about things. We'd, you know, take a bus inside the city, um, 
we took we actually took a bus to the gig in London and and during rush hour and and because I was thinking you know we'd been amazingly lucky in that we had a really nice place to stay with my friend and uh, we were taken out to dinner uh, our first night there by by a guy uh, Mark Shepard who was uh, an actor and and. I think he played Dr. Hill in Supernatural. Oh. Uh, so a friend of Luther's, and, and Mark's also a, a drummer. He plays with uh, Robin Hitchcock from time to time. So at any rate, you know, I'm thinking uh, it's it's we were pretty pampered. And so we, we got on a bus at rush hour to, to kind of feel the challenge and, uh, and, and the struggle. But... <laughs> uh, so you know, we spent thirty minutes kind of being packed in a bus trying to get to the gig, and then we tra- finally got tired of that and, and got off and got in a tube, went to to uh, underground and got on the underground and finished the ride there. But uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm just kind of reminiscing. But uh, yeah, you'd, it's uh, it was. It was all great fun and a great challenge, and and we made some new friends and and uh, met a lot of nice folks out on the road. Awesome! Thank you so much for listening to Nashville to Memphis. I hope you enjoy it. I truly value your time and appreciate your listenership. Please go on iTunes and give us a rating. Five stars helps. It goes a long way. Write a sentence or two. In addition to that, if you wouldn't mind, I love doing this podcast. It is definitely a passion play for me. But like everything else in life, it does cost a little bit of money. So if you would, go to Spotify and follow the Jason Lee McKinney Band. Give us a stream or two and put us on your playlist. And then also go into iTunes and download a song or two. We have five albums out. And it truly goes a long way. Every download counts. Every single one. Share us with your friends. Check it out. Support the podcast. Support the band. JasonLeeMcKinneyBand.com Spread it around to all your friends, neighbors, and fans. Yourself. And I truly appreciate listening to Nashville to Memphis. Back to the show. So, uh, I just got like three more questions. Uh, Are there any plans for more um, Big Stars third performances? Or what, what is... I watched the one on Hulu that just came up, and man, the version of 13 on there is insanely good. It was so good. Oh, they Skylar Goodez? Yeah, it was so yeah. good. It was, wow. It was mind-blowing. But so there any on plans? Hulu. It is, yeah. Oh, cool. I never, I heard that that was a possibility, but I, I was never told that it uh, yes, uh, we, they're going to screen the film in Nashville during Americana Music Fest at the and they'll screen it at the Belcourt Theater there on September 11, and on the 12th uh, we'll perform at the Cannery. Oh, awesome! Uh, and we're just kind of determining, you know, who, who the guest folks will be. And um, I'd love to see that. That'd be awesome. That'd be amazing. It's um, uh, it's an amazing experience. Um, I mean, one of the the show we filmed uh, at the Alex Theater in Glendale, California. There was almost three hours. Wow! And obviously, the film's not that long, but it's funny because we 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 had an eight hour rehearsal the day before, and about five hour rehearsal the day of, 
the filming, and uh, then we played three hours. And uh, but and then slept, I'm sure, after that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but I was amazed at because I, I mean, after that five hour rehearsal, five or six hours. I'm walking down the back hallway into the dressing room, and, and uh, I see a song list, and it's a long one. And I thought, that's a lot of songs. That's a lot of time to be on stage. And uh, it, you know what? But you get out there, and you have a good time, and it, it time flies. That's awesome. Although I was uh, pretty stoked you guys played Cosmos and the Cosmos, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, yeah, John, John Auer sang that. No, what? Uh, or did he? Did Chris Stamey sing? Chris sang that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, Yeah, um, Chris sang it. It was awesome. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was, it, just, was, it, was, it was great. Yeah. There are a lot of special moments, and that, that was one... Uh, 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 Mike Mills uh, singing September Girls and Thank You Friends Ira Kaplan uh, Viola Tango singing Take Care I thought Mike did also on Jesus Christ too that was great I, I was surprised to hear that one that I was that was like whoa I didn't think they'd do that one you know great. what that's what I'm trying to think of uh, Jesus Christ yeah um, oh man uh, Brett Harris on Kangaroo is pretty damned amazing. I don't, there are a lot of special performances and a lot of special people and players. And uh, I, I think in part, it's uh, everybody there that participates in this comes comes with the with the right passion and the right heart for it. Nobody makes any money. I think I got paid two hundred dollars uh, mm. for that. I got paid two hundred dollars. We played the Fillmore uh, two days before that in San Francisco. It's just such an expensive thing to produce because of right. the people involved. Um, you know that we we all do it because we all enjoy each other's company and and we enjoy creating that music together and 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 it's it's just like a little music camp or something that gets together. Yeah, it's it's amazing um, when you get musicians together. And especially if you're together for any, even a short, but a compact sort of intense amount of time, it does get that, what I call summer camp effect. You know, when you go to summer camp as a kid, you, you know somebody for two weeks, but you felt like, oh, that's my best friend in the world. Like you've known them forever. Like you really get that I've known them forever kind of feeling because you're spending 16, 17, 18 hours a day together, you know, and, and, it, and that is, I think, one of the greatest things about music as far as community is, you know, there's friends I have in music that, you know, I did a tour with or we played together for a year that I haven't seen in 10 years, but there's still a bond there because of the time we did spend together was so intensely compacted that yeah. you truly get to have a bond that you don't get to have in the general workaday world. Yeah. The other thing, I've, I, you know, about the Glendale show is Carl Marsh. Uh, we asked Carl Marsh if he would if he would conduct and Carl did the original string arrangements for the third album. And so Carl came out, conducted, and, and uh, wrote some extra pieces for it that are pretty brilliant. And uh, the Kronos Quartet joined us, and they played a couple of dates in San Francisco with us. Uh, just 
four really wonderful people there and uh, who wanted to do it, mm-hmm. wanted to be a part of it. Um, so, yeah, it, it, God, there, there were like 30 people in that would be on stage uh, at some point. Uh, there was a core group, and, and, and the brass players were, were remarkable folks, and, and the string section, and, you know, people would come and go, but uh, it, uh, it's a pretty incredible experience. I mean, I got to, I got to watch it all from, from uh, the back of the stage. It was fun. Right. Awesome. Hey, um, two questions left. One, one is we uh, we met at Ardent. Uh, I've been, I've done my last couple records in, actually in Room C, which is my my preferred room. I think Room C is just there's something special about it. Um, I, I mean, I know A is bigger and A is awesome, but I just see C there's just something about it, and I really love it. But so you're kind of like uh, not to be too funny, but kind of the OG emeritus there at at Ardent. So. I want to see two two sort of questions here in one. Um, what is going on in Ardent? Because I know there's new stuff. There's things that are transitioning. There's there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of busyness there. There's a huge resurgence there. So talk about that. And then also the sort of transition you've kind of experienced from being a young kid sort of hanging out to now sort of being the statesman of Ardent. You know, the uh, I don't want to say elder statesman because I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say anybody's older. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying the statesman of so that transition. So, one if you can just give a quick update for people, and we're talking about Ardent Studios in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, which has recorded tons of people: Steve Earle, ZZ Top, Steve Ray Vaughan, uh, all kinds of people. And um, and so, just kind of talk about what's going on at Ardent that's new and exciting, and then kind of that transition for you. Uh, yeah, not to mention uh, the replacements. Pleased to meet me, and uh, oh yeah, the that produced, and then the REM Green uh, record uh, that was done in, in C and A. Uh, yeah, lots of great things. I just um, I just produced a group called the Reputations from Austin, it back in uh, Studio C, and uh, we did ten songs start to finish in seventy in seven days basically 72 hours um they came prepared creative folks good players makes a difference uh adam hill um uh produced with me and and uh he engineered um uh pat sansone's coming in today pat uh plays with wilco and he's producing this group called jason justin sorry justin and the and the cosmics um and uh, so that'll be two days because they're doing it. They're setting up and playing through their sets as if they're playing them live. Uh, Adam Hill will be uh, engineering that. Um, sort of exile on Main Street approach. Yeah. And uh, wow, a lot of uh, a group called the Flims from uh, Fayetteville. We're in kind of a a punk band that. Uh, uh, James, uh, he was uh, worked here uh, a bit as an intern, and then um, he brought them. A really cool band, got really nice folks. Uh, a group called the Shotgun Billies. Uh, we're just in uh, working with Adam Hill. They're from uh, they're three piece from Arkansas. Um, one guy from Fayetteville, a couple from Marion. Um, so a lot of 
a lot of bands. A group called Bush League uh, will be coming in to finish their record. Um, killer band, and um, you know we do we do some rap here too, as well. Big Phil works out of here, and Ari Morris, and and actually Ari will be doing this Bush League stuff. Uh, it's a band. Um, Wow, I want to say kind of an R&B sort of uh, bluesy type band, um, but uh, killer players. Um, what else is going on? I, I don't a lot of a lot of good things. Uh, some upgrades. Uh, we're looking at uh, making some upgrades to the building. Uh, that's a a good thing. Uh, and just uh, moving forward, uh, you know. It's our first. It's our fifty-first year, so it's uh, we're moving forward. We're not stagnant. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's a, a wonderful place. I, I would recommend anyone to record there. I've been, we've been extremely happy. Um, and you know, I think we didn't do a couple albums before that. We didn't do it because we assumed we couldn't afford it. And then when we called, and and you know, it you know, within reason that. The folks there have been amazing about working with us, and you know, if we're flexible, we they're here. flexible. Yeah. Yeah, we 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 certainly understand that budgets aren't what they used to be, and and uh, and our rates aren't what they used to be. Uh, they're much much lower. So, uh, and and we uh, probably doing a lot more sort of regional and local work uh, these days. Um, so you know we we take that and independent you know bands and folks paying for it themselves or they may have you know raised the the, the money through um, you know Kickstarter or, or some crowdfunding source and um, so you know we understand that and and people also I, I, like with the reputations that Adam Hill and I worked with. Um, you know, they, they come prepared. They come focused. And you can get a lot done in uh, seven days if, you, if, if you're focused and, and, and you come prepared. That's and you have true. That's actually... Like, and you have an engineer like Adam Hill, and, and you have a producer that uh, keeps things moving forward. Is the kind of the decision maker about... Uh, you know what the reputations? It was they had so many great ideas that that became the decision maker about the ones we kept and the ones we used later. Um, so and, and that that can eat up a lot of time. You know, debates about oh, do we need that doubled acoustic guitar or do we need this part or do we need that part or you know, it's it's I made enough records these days that. Uh, Mind you, not not in a producer role like I did with the Reputations, but uh, I did I co-produced the Pretty Wrong those Pretty Wrongs record with Luther, and I, mean, I know how to keep things moving and kind of keep things, um, you know, on a budget and, and within the time allotted. So I don't know, I'm just kind of caught off about that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, key is is our rates are lower subjects and and uh it behooves the band to come prepared 
Yeah, for sure. So what about the moving from, what has that transition been like over your time at Ardent? Just sort of, you know, young kid to mentor role. Uh, it's, I'm comfortable in my own skin mm. and, uh, the way I move about Ardent and, 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 uh, move amongst people, um, I've grown a lot fonder of uh, meeting people and, and sharing experiences, and it's not that I was ever averse to it, but I was just I was a shy kid. Uh, so it um, that's kind of what's changed. I uh, there's a lot to be there's a lot of wonderful things to share about Arden, so it's easy to talk about. Uh, and easy to, uh, you know, recommend it to people and share those experiences because there are a lot of great ones. Uh, yeah, and and if 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 I do an interview like this, it's uh, or or part of a panel or whatever, people ask me if I get nervous, and and uh, I don't really anymore. I get excited and uh, and I'm already prepared because I've. I've lived it and experienced it, so I just get to talk about those experiences. So it's not like I have to do a lot of homework or anything. Right. I think the the thing you said about being comfortable in your own skin that that is that is probably one of the most wise things anyone can do is is eventually you know accepting yourself. Uh, positives. My my strengths are my strengths. I don't need to be ashamed of my strengths. My weaknesses are my weaknesses. I'll work on it, but they're probably going to be there. And I'm just, I'm just me. And and there's sort of a sense of assured sense of worthiness. I think that that you eventually grow into. That I, at least for me, and, and you may be similar. As a young person, I was um, very insecure. I was, I was always an introvert, but I was very insecure. And I think as I get older, I get less and less insecure and more of. I am who I am, and and that's that's okay. That's that's actually a lot of days. That's pretty good. Some days it's not so good, but most days it's pretty good to be me. So. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, well, damn. About the time I was introduced to John Fry, and <clears throat> I'd known Andy Hummel from the eighth grade, but I mean, it's not like we we hung out a lot. He was in a band with my, my brother Jimmy. Um, but uh, so Andy, Andy winds up introducing me to Chris Bell in March of 70 and and um, <clears throat> you know we I'd go over to Chris's back house and set up my kit and we jam a little bit and and you know sooner or later you're, you're playing with some folks that you you have a lot of respect for and kind of admire and, and excited about what they're doing and and uh, before you know it I mean, those kind of insecurities, you start thinking, well, I must be okay. Right. I'm doing something I enjoy. I'm working with some nice folks. Uh, so, you know, uh, I must be doing all right. Right. And uh, nothing like that sense of, you know, you 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 work at And it, just working at something gives you a better sense of, of self, too, and uh, you know, and, and accomplishing something. Uh, I don't care if it's mowing the front yard and doing a good job of it or 
whatever it is, you you do it, you get it done, and you do a good job of it, and it, and it helps establish a you know a better sense of of yourself. I couldn't agree more. All right, one final question, and this one it, it, it throws some people. It may be the most important question I ask, and I do this every episode. So. We all have guilty pleasure songs that we like that we're just a tiny bit ashamed, like we don't really admit it in a group like a crowd. So I ask everyone to confess one guilty pleasure song that you actually just love and you may have not ever have admitted it before or you haven't admitted it in a public forum. So do you have any songs that you're like people consider not the coolest that you're like, all right, by myself, I'm jamming out to that? I got to tell you, I... um I'm not sure if this is a guilty pleasure, but Abba's Dancing Queen. Okay. Um, that's a, it's a killer record, and uh, and you know, there probably a lot of people think that's really cool uh, <clears throat> that record. But th- that's about the only one I can think of offhand that's you know that's really pop. Right. It's really a pop record. It's really syrupy, but man, it is really catchy. It is it's really catchy. Um, awesome, man. Uh, well, Jody, man, I, I really appreciate you doing it, man. And I, I hope we bump into each other. I'm I'm not uh, in Memphis a lot right now, but when the school year kicks back up, I will be. And, um, man, maybe I'll I'll take you to lunch or something sometime. I, I owe you for this one for sure. Oh, yeah. No, glad to do it. I'm glad you're interested. You know, <laughs> when you're first starting out, you try to get people interested. So. So I'm glad people are interested, but but thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. Hey, and also thank you for um, just mentoring some of my students. Jazz is a student of mine, and she's she she thinks the world of you. So um, I wanted to thank you for that. So she's definitely go get her. She is indeed. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's 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 wonderful to have her here. She's a sweetheart. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jody. I appreciate it, man. Take care, Jason. All right. Bye. All right, now that we've settled all the issues, don't forget to check out Jody at BigStar.com or www.thoseprettywrongs.com or Artist Studios at www.artiststudios.com. We'll see you next week on N2M.